Want to help your teachers save over 10 hours per week? Introduce them to School AI. It's not just a tool, it's a partner in the classroom. With School AI, teachers can plan courses in minutes, get real-time learning data, and provide one-on-one tutoring. Plus, it's free for teachers. Visit SchoolAI.com today. School AI, the classroom operating system of the future. That's SchoolAI.com. Focal Point K-12 is an innovative tool that helps teachers and students manage student portfolios. It provides a digital portfolio for students to store their work, set and track their own learning goals, and earn credentials and industry certifications. The platform also uses blockchain technology to ensure the security and safety of student data. Teachers can use Focal Point K-12's real-time dashboards to track student progress and save time with AI-assisted scoring. To learn more, visit focalpoint.education. Principles. Research shouldn't be a maze for students. Scribble offers a unified platform streaming the research and writing process. It integrates with major educational tools, ensures authentic student work, and provides educators with real-time insights. Elevate your school's academic rigor. Learn more at scribble.com. That's S-C-R-I-B-L-E dot com. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is a continuation of the Summer of AI series brought to you by School AI and AIleader.info. Today, I'm excited to have a guest on the program, Michael B. Horn. He strives to create a world in which all individuals can build their passions and fulfill their potential through his writing, speaking, and work with a portfolio of educational organizations. He's the author of several books, including the recently released From Reopen to Reinvent, The award-winning Disrupting Class, How Disruptive Innovation Will Change the Way the World Learns, Blended, and Goodnight Box, which is a children's story, which my wife and I just wrote a children's story and it got rejected by the publisher. So maybe I need to talk to you about that. I also want to direct your attention to previous episodes with Michael. This is his third time on the show. I Episode 202 and 203 were one interview split into two, episode 295 and episode 525, where we did a roundtable about teacher shortage with Charles Fournier and Kevin Stoller. So that was a, a fun, unique, different kind of show. Michael, welcome to Transformative Principles. So great to have you again on the show. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is good. So we have a wide range in conversation about artificial intelligence here, and we go in a lot of different directions. What was most valuable to you from it, or what do you think people should take away from our conversation today? I think you really helped me clarify my thinking around what is going to be the curriculum and canon, if you will, of the future of schooling in a world of AI, and how's what we have taught and learned over the last many years How's that going to need to change in the future? Yeah. Oh, how fascinating. I I really think that's a big thing. The thing that you really sparked for me is this idea of how important context is and how 
the context in which we are doing things really does matter and that we're rarely in a vacuum. And that really clarified some things that I've been thinking about lately as well. So good conversation. So appreciate you being here again. And we'll get to that interview with Michael in just a moment. Time is a precious commodity. As a principal, you know this all too well. Between lesson planning, grading, and providing personalized feedback, the hours in a day can quickly disappear. What if you could help your teachers get some of that time back? Introducing School AI. School AI is not just a tool. It's your teacher's partner in the classroom. Help your teachers save over 10 hours a week on busy work, allowing them to focus on what they do best, teaching. With School AI, teachers can plan courses in minutes, get real-time data on learning, and even provide one-on-one tutoring for every student. School AI also provides a FERPA-compliant chat GPT experience. But that's not all. School AI's co-teacher feature is like a personal assistant, adapting daily lessons to student interests, checking for understanding, and even automating parent communication. And the best part? It's free for teachers. So if you're ready to reclaim your time and transform your school with the power of AI, visit schoolai.com today. School AI, the classroom operating system of the future. Visit them at schoolai.com. Michael, I've heard these sentiments floating out there from different people saying kids are worried about not, uh, they're worried about their education because they're afraid that by the time they graduate, uh, the job they think they're training for is not going to exist. I've heard this, especially in higher education. What's been your perspective on that? Yeah, my sense from the folks that I've talked about, I mean, first, let's say this, a lot of higher ed students were disengaged from the pandemic. Right. And that has clearly not fully rebounded and faculty members are struggling with it. So let's lay that out there first. Second, my sense is that actually, and again, this is anecdotal, but a lot of the higher ed students uh, and faculty that I've connected with and seen some of the surveys, they're using artificial intelligence because they see that it's can do a lot of cool things and it's pretty powerful. And I'm not hearing as much of the anxiety from them because that future job feels pretty close, right? And so they're not, while there's some clear shifts in the market already happening, it's not like tomorrow it feels like to them. Whereas where I'm actually hearing some anxiety that caught me off guard was high school students because they feel like, you know, it's just close enough that they're thinking about futures and careers and things like that. And they're maybe trying to pick college with that in mind. And it's just far enough away that it feels like the world could be completely different. (laughs) And businesses will not just have adopted AI, but actually re-engineered processes and roles and all these things that by the time they get into the job market, what are they learning for and why is what they're learning relevant is something that that I think they're wrestling with and asking. Yeah, that makes it challenging to decide on a future. I mean, you know, when, when I was a kid, it was, you could become a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, or maybe if you're crazy, you could start a business. Right. And those were your, pretty much your options. That's all anybody thought about. There's of course, way more jobs than that and way more different things you could do to earn a living. But then, you know, even if you wanted to be a doctor, let's say, or a lawyer, those two fields could be heavily impacted by the time you get those long degrees that could you not have an opportunity and certainly going like an entry level position and learning those basic skills could be 
a much more challenging thing if those basics basic skill entry level jobs are being completely done by artificial intelligence. Yeah, I think this is the big question to me, which is what you just ended on, right? Which is, it seems to me in every field, right? Not just blue collar jobs. In fact, probably not blue collar jobs. We're more talking about the quote unquote white collar jobs that these entry level roles increasingly can be done by artificial intelligence. That changes the nature of the entry-level role to something much more advanced, right? Where you're using the artificial intelligence to do, you know, more more complicated things. But that presupposes something about the industry and the right questions to ask AI, et cetera, et cetera. And where do you get that expertise if there are not the entry-level roles for you to train and learn the industry? So then I think you see a lot of people point to, well, apprenticeships maybe comes along and really is the thing that changes the nature of this, where you have intermediary organizations like Multiverse or places like that, that will hire students. And and they may not be college grads, by the way, they might be high school grads, which is the other wrinkle on this, right? It might be a college substitute. And they come in and they get two years of a mix of right on the job training where they're temp workers to different companies. So the temp, the companies don't have to do those entry-level roles anymore. And they're getting a day, a week of some sort of education around the role, the industry, wh- wh- whatever it might be. Well, that's a very different system that the country's not. I mean, it sounds great in theory, but the country's not at all prepared from an infrastructure perspective to do that. So what is going to happen and help people if the entry-level roles are not there over the next few years? I think it's a major question that is going to roil through much of the education system, much of the individuals. And if those college students, to your point, you're hearing the anxiety, maybe they should be anxious, right? Because like it's it's getting pulled out from underneath them. Last thought, and I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask a question, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Because I, I, I think it's a big question of like, what does that mean for what we do from a curricular perspective? What needs to say the same and what needs to change? And it has to be that plus you know, X, Y, Z more. I And I haven't really, in my mind anyway, I've heard some good theorizing of that at the higher ed level, but in the K through 12 world, I don't think I've heard anything compelling one way or the other personally. Yeah. Well, I think that the things that you and I have talked about on this show in particular, more broadly in, in our own separate arenas as well, is that we need to help kids have diverse different experiences that is not just the teacher lecturing from the front of the room that we need to bring in opportunities for them to experience real world things inside the classroom so i think that that is essential but it, you know it it brings up the question of does that mean that we let them do use ai tools do we open the floodgates for them do we recognize that so much information that we thought we could get in a certain way, can now be getting in, gotten in a different way. How do we make decisions around that and choose the right best thing for the students that are sitting right in front of us? Yeah, great question. And two thoughts. One, to the first half of your observation about more real world experiences, I say, great point. Yes, yes, yes. And it just permission to geek out for a moment. If you look at the theory of interdependence and modularity, which is this theory that Clay Christensen was known for, he basically said in the early years of of a nascent industry, different parts of a system had to be done 
by the same entity because the way those parts interacted were unpredictable ahead of time. So if you wanted to build a computer and you were IBM, you had to do the logic circuitry because you didn't know how that would interact with the operating system. And you certainly didn't know how that would interact with the hardware. And if you tried to create standards so that you could just specialize, you would take away so many degrees of freedom that you would have produced a computer inadequate for the time. I'm, I'm gonna, I'll leave it there as a description and just take it to where you just went. I, I actually think we're in this moment where the nature of skills and work is changing so fast that what you learn from a textbook is too unpredictably interdependent with those real world applications and skills. And so those things need to be much more tightly coupled in our learning. And that's the argument for everything from apprenticeships to more real world projects in the school day is that the quote unquote book learning has to be really interdependently done with the actual experiential work itself. So I actually think there's an intellectual justification that that maybe you know didn't exist 30 years ago, right? The nature of skills and knowledge was not changing as rapidly as it is at the moment th that pushes us. So then how does that relate to the second part of your question? Well, I think the reality is that if the nature of the work is changing so much, you got to use the tools that are at the center of that work. <laughs> And so to deny people the opportunity to use AI in the context of doing their homework, their schoolwork, their projects, whatever, their written work, whatever it might be, I think is insane. I mean, it's like saying we're going to bar calculators or move back to 1995. There's this thing, Google going to come in a couple of years. We're not going to let you have access to that. Like all of these things that would seem insane to not prepare people for a world to use these. And also I'll add, I think willfully blind to the reality, which is New York City and several other districts, Seattle, LA, et cetera. When ChatGPT came out in November, their first reaction was to ban it. They said, it can cheat, it can do all this stuff. We're no way, not on our servers, not over our wireless, et cetera. Well, you really think the students that had access to devices and great internet at home were not using it? That's that's ridiculous. So now you've created an equity issue where certain students have access to it and others don't. And that seems less than ideal on top of the fact that these are useful tools for learning how the world is going to work. On top of the fact that I think it's the wrong question, which is like, rather than saying, gee, did you know, Jethro Jones cheat or not, or did Michael Horn cheat or not? Like, I want you learning how to build an even better project, product, outcome, whatever, using these tools to do way more than what you could do before. Because I, I think what we know for sure is that in the race of technology versus people, what seems to always win is the combination of the two together. <laughs> Whether it's like, Beat Deep Blue beats Gary Kasparov in chess, but it turns out that random amateur chess players plus artificial intelligence destroy Deep Blue and Gary Kasparov, right? And so it's the combination of human skills with the AI that I think is going to be most important. And we need to be building that intelligence and know-how in our students right now. I think to do otherwise is irresponsible at best. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. And and so when people have suggested uh banning or 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 not allowing kids to use or access it, then my response is look, they're going to anyway. So it doesn't matter what you say. So 
you might as well at least teach them what it is, how it works, and what it is capable of and what it's not capable of, and make a better choice there. So you a few minutes ago, you brought up Google and how Google has definitely changed the game of how that a lot of things on the internet works. And one thing that I think is particularly egregious is if you search for anything, the first page of Google is all search engine optimized, packed with ads, and is a terrible experience and is not something that you want to actually go to. It's like, how do I change the whatever on my toilet? Or how do I change the the stopper on my sink? What you get is, or how do I make sourdough? And then you get like a page and a half of nonsense fluff before you actually get to the thing that you need the answer for. And even with snippets that Google has introduced, those things don't always work exactly right, but Google changed the game of how the internet works. And that's an important thing to recognize. AI is also going to change the game. And so what is that going to look like? What are the things that we need to be paying attention to? And so like, does that mean apprenticeships are gonna come back? I mean, personally, I think that's a pretty good idea. I have a friend who works for a worldwide organization who never got his bachelor's degree. He's in media and so much of the media skills are based on what you can do in the moment. But because he doesn't have a bachelor's degree, he can't progress in the organization above a certain level. He can't progress into management roles, which would lead to more pay and and better benefits and things like that because he doesn't have the slip of paper. However, he's probably one of the very best people at what he does, certainly in the company and possibly among the greatest in the world because he has so much experience doing things. And so if we are offloading that stuff to machines to do those things that give us experience and make us good at stuff, what does that say about the future of our work and what that's going to look like? So let me ask that in a different way, but that's kind of the direction I'm heading. It's important to do hard things. And when I spoke with uh, Kevin Shindell recently on the podcast, he brought that up also. What hard things do we want to keep and what hard things do we want to get rid of? So much of the promise of AI is getting rid of hard things and making it easier, giving us more time. What's your perspective on that? You've done a lot of great things. How important is it to do hard things and how important is it to just get things done? Yeah, it's a great question. It's important to do hard things because it builds your capacity as a human, right? So that you can tackle more challenging work, but it also builds all those, I call them habits of success. Some people call them social emotional skills, right? Character skills, whatever it might be in terms of an understanding of self-efficacy and self-esteem, right? A sense of perseverance and grit, a sense of growth mindset, agency, right? All these things that are incredibly important get built by you tackling something that you look at it and you say, wow, that's daunting. You mean I'm going to do that? And yeah, you learn to scaffold it and you break it up and you go from novice to expert, right? And so forth. And it's, it's not tomorrow that you do it, but over time, I think it's incredibly important. And to your point, what is hard, I think, may change. Or said better, what is scarce may become clearer, right? In the sense that like, it's easy to get a bunch of gibberish written on the internet now. What's harder, presumably, is to spend the time crafting what the AI has given you 
and working with it to make a message that really sings and grabs the attention of someone when you're trying to persuade them. So editing is really important. Fact-checking is really important, right? There's a whole set of skills, I think, to be learned around unseen bias in certain algorithms. My class at Harvard, they were showing me about how if a woman jumped into the AI, into ChatGPT, for example, and asked some questions, they would get one set of answers, whereas if their male classmates went in with a certain set of uh, questions, they got very different answers. Really interesting, right? Troubling. And yet you kind of want to know it because you want to be able to shape those things actively as people. And so in, in my mind, it's again, what is scarce now in the world? What is uniquely human? Where do humans add value? And I'll add another one to this. Like, a lot of the things we've ditched out of the curriculum over the last hundred years around philosophy and ethics and things of that nature, they're a lot more important now. Rhetoric, maybe that's a lot more important again, right? That was like a class that a lot of people would have taken some years ago that has sort of disappeared from a lot of curricula. That's probably something that ought to come back because, again, the art of human speaking. Now, I get it. AI bots are going to be able to do some of that as well. But it turns out you in the moment with a community of other individuals, like that's going to give you incredible power as an individual. And so those sorts of skills, I think, are going to be incredibly important for individuals to work on, develop, and they're not going to be easy. And some of them might even feel like anachronisms. But if we do it with the right light of like, hey, you're right. This thing here was incredibly important before, but AI has made that abundant. So now these things are what's scarce or unique about a human. And it's hard, but you got to lean into it. And we're going to have to figure out how it interacts with all the things that AI can do. Picture this, a student drowning in tabs, tools, and notes, struggling to piece together a research project. Sounds familiar, right? Now, imagine all of that streamlined under one roof. That's Scribble. Scribble is more than just a tool, it's a game changer. Students can curate, annotate, cite, and write all in one place. Collaborative annotations, check. Automatic citations, check. Real-time feedback for educators, you bet. And the best part is, it's not just about making tasks easier. It's about freeing up time for higher-level learning and critical thinking. Are you worried about AI plagiarism? With Scribble, students show their authentic work process, making it genuine and credible. And I mentioned it won the Soup's Choice Award for College and Career Readiness. So if you're ready to transform the way your school approaches research and writing, head over to scribble.com and see the magic for yourself. That's S-C-R-I-B-L-E dot com. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like you to go a little bit deeper on those ideas of courses that we've spent less time on that are more important now, like rhetoric and philosophy and ethics and things like that. I, I do think those are more important now also. Uh, and I'm curious on your thoughts, and then I'll give my answer on why I think those are important also. Okay, so we can take them each, but like, go to the ethics and philosophy parts of this, right? How we shape the AI, how we build the code itself, how we help AI make judgments between two unsavory ideas, right? The, the, the simple one that I've heard is, you know, if we have cars that are at least in part powered by autonomous vehicles, right? And that's powered by AI and it has to make a terrible decision. There's a group of five 10-year-olds in the street or an elderly woman. What does it do? Like, how does it act when there's awful hazards there? 
These are decisions that as humans, we make sort of subconsciously. The AI is going to do it based on clear algorithms and thinking about how you you know, judge these awful things around the value of human life and things of that nature are going to be incredibly important to play with and 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 work through. And so, as I'm saying it, it sounds awful, and 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 I have a lot of emotion around it. But I think thinking through these big questions is going to be incredibly important and empowering. You talk about rhetoric. If the world has shifted from the written word being the coin of the realm and a really difficult, you know, a really challenging way to express yourself. You and I have both spent time with the written word, but all of a sudden the art of rhetoric, speaking, storytelling, the days of Homer, right? Coming back to four, these things become more important all of a sudden. I'll give a third one, which is, this is honestly before AI. In my view, we had way overcorrected against the humanities and, and into the STEM fields. You look at like colleges and the decline of history and English in all those departments relative to science, technology, engineering, math areas, in my mind, those are becoming commodities again because no code engineering with AI is, it, that's a thing now, right? You talk to the AI about how you want to build something that does something and you iterate with it until it, it does so by asking it questions. Now, that, that means all these human skills around extemporaneous talking or telling a story to communicate your idea they become much more important. Does that mean writing is irrelevant? Not in my view. Is a, I think it's a really useful way still to think your way through a problem, but I don't know that it's the way I communicate my answer then to the problem to you, right? I think the written, the verbal is going to be far more important. So leaning in on these parts of our traditions and humanity, I think are incredibly important, but they look very different, right, from what they were even just five years ago as a result of the uh, new technology in my mind. Yeah. I, Tell me your take. Yeah, I, I agree with all that you've said there. And I think the the wrinkle that I would add, number one, is that in order to communicate with the AI, you have to have skills at writing, right? And so you have to be able to clearly define what you're doing. And that's an area where people, you know, who majored in English have a have an advantage because they understand how to communicate effectively. And that's that makes a big difference. So we should definitely pay attention to that. The other thing, you brought up this big idea about, you know, what what does a self-driving car choose between? And I think even more important than that are these little everyday decisions that we make about things that seemingly don't matter, but that really do matter. A tangential question that I think I'll get to in a second is, are we training the AI or is the AI training us? And that idea is really mind-blowing when you start thinking about it, that you know we know from TikTok and Instagram that certain things show up in our feeds and and they are catching to us individually. And depending on what we've liked in the past and what we've spent time on, those things are, are being geared towards us. And so at a certain point, the scale tips from us looking for those things or liking those things to the AI showing us those things because it knows that we will like them and teaching us more things. For example, I found this Twitter account that was like, closed circuit television videos leaked or whatever. And so 
I I watched one of those videos and then I started seeing a whole bunch more in the suggested feeds, right? And so like you see those things and then now I'm going to start seeing other videos similar to that because they fall close enough in the same parameters that I'm going to start looking or seeing these other things show up on my feed. Now, those little questions of integrating something that says like, even as simple as it's time to take a break, we're not going to do anything else until you've reported back that you've something kind for someone else or whatever. Like those are really little things, but that could have a huge impact on how we adopt and and use these tools. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think all your points are excellent. And it goes to another thing, which is, you know, deep fakes, right? Fake images, right. fake uh, videos, fake text, et cetera, is going to become more prevalent, I think, because of AI, obviously. And our ability to be discerning consumers is going to be way more important. And so th that's another piece of this on uh, to your point of daily behavior, training it and so forth and, and not being at its mercy. Those who are able to see the bigger picture, get above it, I think will be better. And I think your point about communication is right on as well, that if your ability to communicate with the AI is going to be that's going to be a really important skill, which is going to require clarity of thought and written idea, right? And so, or verbal idea, either one of the Stephen Covey, I think it is, quote of technology is a great servant, but a terrible master. Yeah. And so I think we need to be mindful of that. And, and that's probably a lot of this. And it's one of the reasons, just one other point in this, one of the things that I see being wrestled with right now is, well, maybe knowledge is less important, right? Because... AI will just generate it. And it's interesting, like you could argue, I think more plausibly, that was somewhat true with the advent of Google and spread of Wikipedia and things of that nature. But with the AI, we know it's not always right. It's generating responses based on language that it's reviewing from a variety of sources. And so I think knowledge is incredibly important, but maybe more important is like how to research and distill what is fact versus fiction to figure out is the AI spitting something out at me that is not true versus true. And so becoming a great fact checker and copy editor is probably a really important skill for individuals in the future. And you got to have some knowledge to build some knowledge. So I think I, in, in some ways, I think actually our foundations around sweeps of history and science and things of that nature actually probably remain pretty important in the curriculum. And as I said, tied to these bigger real life projects, as we've talked about, so that you're doing it contextually and you're learning, again, something comes up, the AI says, whatever, or you look at this video and you're not sure whether it's real or not, like you have the ability to do, go through some questions on your own. Does that seem plausible? Does that seem like something that would actually be said? How would I check it? How would I know? Right. And sort of go through it. But you have the basis to know how to ask those questions. Yeah, I've been thinking about knowledge and wisdom and information for a long time. My current schema for that is that information exists and it is just out there. It's just this thing. Knowledge is gathering that information. And then wisdom is applied knowledge and discernment is knowing when to use that wisdom or knowledge or info. Oh, I really like that. Yeah. So I really that, like that. That's good. That, that's something that I have been literally for the last 
20 years been just pulling in all these different little ideas about what knowledge and wisdom are just because I'm trying to understand what the difference is between them. And when when is someone wise and when does someone just have knowledge or information? And being able to identify and discern between those, I think is, is an important skill that we have to develop and and learn. So go well, ahead. Just quickly, I yeah, just quickly, I what I love about it also is it does the it breaks the tyranny of the or that I think often dominates education, where they say mm-hmm. it's knowledge or skills. And you're like, well, to exercise critical thinking, you kind of got to know something, right? And it's awfully hard, you know, and, and vice versa, right? And so I what I love about that is it says, hey, the knowledge is important, not sufficient. And it sort of recognizes the scaffolding, if you will, up to discernment, which I, I quite like. Yeah. Yeah. I've really been enjoying that research just in the back of my mind for a long time. So I found somewhere I learned about the word knowledge in Noongar, which I don't even know where that language is from. I just heard this and I wrote it down and saved it because I knew it would come in handy someday. And it said the word for knowledge in Noongar is Cartesian, I think is how you say it, which means head and foot or that knowledge comes from the whole body. And so recognizing that it is not just about getting information but there's a brain in your head, but there's also a brain in your heart or in your gut that we are starting to understand more and more and how can AI overcome those things or replicate those things? We don't know yet, but it's an interesting thing to think that because we are human beings, we still have this ability to to have different types of knowledge that maybe the AI can never replicate, or maybe it can. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, but I love that because it, again, it leans on the things that make us uniquely human to this point, right? And and a lot of that is gut, quote unquote, gut feel, which as we are learning has a basis actually in the gut to your point, right? Yeah. And so the gut brain access seems uh, based on latest in science, the most recent evidence seems like a real thing, right? And so the AI does not have those things, right? It does not have those tools to sense and learn. It has artifacts, which is our language, to try to distill some of those things. But language itself is an approximation of those things, right? Exactly. It is not the it is not the things themselves. It's not the phenomena, as Clay would have said. It's an abstraction of the phenomena. Yeah. So so my last comment on this and then and then we'll probably close but i want to hear your thoughts on this also so my perspective is that schools seek to organize information into knowledge smart people i believe seek to gain wisdom and enlightened people seek to gain discernment because they are they're at the the top of that heap that they want to know really when to apply all this information that they have to the right situation I love it. it. What I also like about it is it recognizes that context really matters, right? Of when something is valuable or not, or, you know, one of my favorite stories in the jobs to be done literature, if you will, of why people hire different products or services is you, you take two cups, like a styrofoam cup and a coffee mug. And you're like, which one is better quality? Uh-huh. <laughs> you're right. Which is the conversation in education, like which school is better quality? And it's like, well, it depends on the context, right? Because like, if I need to grab a hot drink on the go, 
while I'm driving my kid to swim practice at 5 a.m., that really beautifully pottery mug, not very useful. And the styrofoam cup is where I'm going to go, right, with this one. But if I'm like sitting down in a dining room and having a cup of tea, like I'm going to pick that nice, weighty, right, beautifully crafted mug. And so context gives meaning, I think, and, and contrast helps us understand meaning. And so to me, when I hear what you just said, that, that that's where it comes is like, yeah, there's a blanket set of attributes and things, but knowing when to use which depends on context and that's discernment and that ultimately adds up to enlightenment. So I, I quite I quite like the way you've crafted that. Well, it's only taken like 20 years, so hey, I'm getting there. Hey. I'm getting there. I just, I just cliff noted it from you in about three minutes. So thank you. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Well, this has been great chatting with you as always, Michael, where, where do you want to send people to learn more about you and connect with you more? Yeah, sure. Look, michaelbhorn.com or my Substack, the future of education, which is something like michaelbhorn.substack.com or however they do the URLs these days, but you can find that on Google, I think. And then <laughs> ironically, and then, you know, Twitter is at Michael B. Horn. And if that doesn't exist in a few weeks, then you can find me on threads at mhorn1999. <laughs> okay. Very good. There, We're at this another point where there's lots of social media and different places to go mastodon and threads and it's not bad. It's all thing. this stuff, right? It's yeah. all this stuff, right? I mean, I think the more enduring work and maybe this is the better answer is obviously my books, which you can find on Amazon from reopen to reinvent is the latest or my podcasts, right? As you know, class disrupted in the K-12 realm or future you in the higher ed realm. Yeah, very good. Definitely good listens. Suggest people go and listen to those and read his books and his blog at Substack. Really good stuff. Well, thank you again, Michael. Appreciate you being here as always. Always great to chat with you. Likewise, thank you for the continued wisdom. Good one. I like it. (laughs) Edited by Gage Sanderson.